Hello America, I'm back and I am excited to sit down with you for a little bit and discuss a very important topic that's coming uh, out right now. Actually, it's been in our face since about January 2019. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is democratic socialism, the Nordic countries, the Scandinavian countries, and, uh, and all things there because we are being told that we now need to be just like Sweden. But is that really where we need to go? Welcome to another installment of the Common Sense Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Matt, and I am so very grateful that you have decided to stick with me and join me for another episode here on the show. So like I mentioned in the intro, we are going to be discussing and talking a little bit about democratic socialism uh, as uh, the left is trying to paint it. We're going to talk a lot about that, and in particular, take a look at the new shining example uh, coming across the seas from Europe in the form of the Scandinavian countries, and in particular, Sweden. And I'll give you a little bit about why I think uh, <clears throat> um, Bernie is, is using that as his new poster child for what he's trying to accomplish. But we got a lot to cover, so let's kind of go back and start here at the beginning. So, you know, we got an election this year, people. We got uh, an election coming up in November. And as everyone knows, President Trump is running for re-election for a second term. And uh, and he's got quite a bit of uh, competition on the other side. In uh, the Democratic side of things, I think think if you look go back to like January of 2019 so about a year ago we started off this whole crazy race with uh, 27 candidates there were 27 people under the democratic ticket that were saying that you need to vote them in as president uh, over the last year and getting today we have whittled that expansive bunch down to 12 so there's still 12 people in the race for the democratic nomination and let's see i think i have here yes i do so currently we still have left of the 12 we have uh, michael bennett amy klobuchar bernie sanders which we'll talk about mr bernie here in a little bit uh, elizabeth warren and I don't know if you guys caught the last last Democratic debate, but that little tiff between uh, Warren and Sanders towards the end where she accused him of, of calling him a, her a liar on national TV was absolutely hilarious. Uh, but anyways, um, we have uh, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, good old crazy, I mean, Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe Biden, who's running, I think he last set of polls, he's in the lead. Uh, Deval Patrick, I guess he's the governor of Massachusetts, know nothing about him at all. Then we've got uh, Michael Bloomberg, who is dominating every single uh, TV station uh, and radio spot out there. I think, I can't remember how many millions of dollars he's spent, but uh, he's still not, as of right now, and I'm sure he's got a strategy, but yeah, Michael Bloomberg is, is not anyone I'm, I'm too big of a fan of. Of course, there's Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana. 
And then what they classify as the outsiders, Tom Steyer, a billionaire business executive and activist. And then there's Andrew Yang. Now, those that we've lost, uh, this is kind of the in memoriam. We've lost Cory Booker, Marianne Williamson, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Steve Bullock, Joe Sestak, Wayne Messam, Beto O'Rourke, Crazy Beto, Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, Kristen Gillibrand, Seth Moulton, Jay Inslee, John Hickenlooper, and Eric Swalwell. So those are everyone that we have lost and who's still in the race here. So feeling a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> I know that there is quite a bit out there, but in particular with uh, with the show today, I want to talk about about basically what we're being pitched. And, uh, you know, America is, is being told by the left and these uh, democratic socialists that uh, capitalism is evil and that we need to embrace democratic socialism. And I will tell you that on the outset, my opinion of this is that if you slap a, quote, democratic bow on a steaming pile of canine crap, a.k.a. socialism, it doesn't make it any more appealing of a gift to the American people. Any form of democratic socialism or otherwise is not what I want for America, and I'm guessing that most of you out there feel the same uh, in middle middle America. Of course, we have the you know the California, and we have you know New York, and those other very leftist states that would love to embrace this for some crazy reason. But you know, in their quest to obtain the presidency, these candidates and you know, most notably Bernie Sanders, have been beating the democratic socialist war drum. Dum, 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 dum. And, and I will give it to Bernie. Okay, I will say this much. At least he's been consistent as a, well, been consistent, I should say, with his Marxist rhetoric his entire career. And that career did definitely start when the dinosaurs were still walking the earth. But Bernie's learned a lot in the last, you know, 40 some odd years that he's been doing this whole political thing. Rather than use countries like Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, China, and Vietnam, where it is obvious that this system of government has failed miserably for the people, Bernie is you know, putting a fresh coat of paint on his message and telling you that we need to be more like the Scandinavian countries. And you know, we hear a lot about Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Um, but you know, I thought it would be really important to start with asking, you know, do... Americans even really know what socialism is. I don't think they do. I think that this this message that's being uh, put out there um, is confusing. Um, it, it looks all shiny and, and nice uh, with lots of quote unquote free promises. But let's take a quick look here and see, you know, from the internet what uh, some Americans have to say. Americans are so used to demonizing socialism that most don't really know what it is. How would you define socialism? I mean, honestly, that definition gets thrown around a lot. How would you view what socialism is, though? Um, to be quite honest, I don't know. It could really benefit our country in the future. I think it's a good idea. Trying to spread the wealth is definitely a good thing in America, and okay. it's definitely a thing that's needed. Are you familiar at all with a little thing called socialism? Yes. What do you think about it? I love it. Love social. What do you love about it? I like to socialize with everybody. No, not socialize, socialism. I'm not really sure what socialism actually is. So socialism is basically an economic system and where everybody's equal. There's no rich and there's no poor. Oh, no, no, I get it. It's kind of like what Cuba does. I'm not quite so clear on the exact definition of socialism, but I think it's important that it isn't just every man for himself. Uh, I don't know because 
Socialism's worked in some places. Where? Other I'm, places. I'm still trying to find where socialism works. I don't know either. Do you know the difference between a Democrat and a socialist? Honestly, no. How do you feel about socialism, sir? It's great. They have, I just got back from Europe, four weeks in Europe. Free health care, good schools, it's wonderful. Free, yeah. free everything? You think that works? Free. You have to pay for it. Recent poll just came out saying that Democrats now view socialism more favorably than they view capitalism. What are your thoughts? Uh, doesn't make any sense. Socialism is ridiculous. I'm for it. You're for socialism? I am for it. Why? Because I think uh, everybody should have a fair opportunity for health care and, um, yeah. Does fair mean free? Fair means free. Do you hear any of your friends talking about socialism? Nope. They don't talk about politics at all? Nope. Do you know who Bernie Sanders is? Yes. He believes in socialism. Oh, okay. Are you a Bernie Sanders supporter? I don't like Donald Trump, so why not? Anything not Donald Trump is okay? Yep. There are some, Democrats mostly, who believe socialism should replace capitalism. Do you think that's ever going to happen? Uh, personally, I do not think that's ever going to happen. I think capitalism is fantastic. It gives every American an opportunity to earn an income, each an individual. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Have great. a great day. Thank Good you. to see you. <laughs> so out of those three clips I just played for you, only two people that were interviewed actually knew what socialism was, and they called it for what it is. It, it's garbage. But, so, you know, but, you know let's take a, a step back and, and do a little digging into, into why this political ideology is gaining traction in the United States because that's something I cannot wrap my head around. I don't understand. And maybe it's because of my age. Maybe it's because of my upbringing. I don't know. But I have, I have lived in America for many years. We won't talk about my age. And everything that is great about this country Everything that's great has been built on the back of capitalism and not socialism. So I can't understand why everyone in this country that is in favor of, of Bernie's message and following him is is saying that this is going to work. They've never lived underneath it, and every example that we've looked at has failed miserably. But again, they're they're painting it and they're they're shining it up and they're you know they're saying it it, it is something that it's not. You know, and to me, what's really interesting is that every candidate on the Democratic ticket that I that I know of right now, especially the ones that are in like you know actual contention, the top four or whatever, they are all millionaires or billionaires, and they made their money not through socialism, people, but through capitalism. Bernie, in particular, he is a millionaire, and yet he sits up there and has the audacity to rail against those that have been successful like himself. He's a hypocrite, and you, there's no other way to describe him. And I don't understand how young people in particular, because that seems to be who is following him, how they don't see this. They don't know anything. I think they're so wrapped up in the promises of free education, free health care, free this, that, you know, all the, all the free stuff, that they don't do any kind of homework whatsoever to actually look at, um, is he consistent with his message? Because he's not. He's not. He's a millionaire. Do you see Bernie taking his millions and giving it back to the people? Nope. He has multiple homes and vacation properties, and, I mean, he's a complete hypocrite. But anyways, let's get down to to understanding this, and let's kind of take a look at kind of what we have on the table as far as economic positions. So so basically, you know, if you want to understand this, we have to know, know that there's capitalism, socialism, and communism that exist along the economic spectrum. 
And at the one end, uh, the government has control over the economy, and that's called communism. And at the other end, they have little or no control, uh, which is capitalism. And nestled ever so neatly there in the middle is a thing called socialism. Now, in true socialism, there it's where the government has nationalized most major industries. But unlike communism, properties and resources aren't owned and controlled by the state. Instead, the government redistributes the wealth, and we've heard that since the days of Barack Obama here recently, redistribution of wealth. They, they, they control it, and they redistribute the wealth to individuals in a way that they deem fair and equitable. Okay, and I can go on talking about the government and how effective they've been with deeming things fair and equitable, but that's the kind of the approach they're taking. Now, that's socialism. So now we got to say, well, what's democratic socialism? And, and that kind of lies in between capitalism and socialism, depending upon who you talk to. Now, some of their biggest talking points under democratic socialism are free health care, free college education, uh, that are funded through basically increased taxation on corporations and the top 1%, uh, or so they say. That's the big selling point. It's only going to affect the top 1%, these, these horrible, evil millionaires and billionaires, which again... Bernie's one of them, as are the other major candidates. So they're going to tax themselves this way? I don't think so. But let's just go with this. I want to take you down a, a quick road here with a crash course on U.S. history so you can understand exactly how we got here, okay? Even before German radicals Karl Marx and Frederick Engels released the Communist Manifesto in 1848, the ideals of socialism had already taken root in the United States. After Thomas Paine's famous writings helped drive patriots to war with the British, he soon took on a new cause, taxing wealthy landowners to help pay for a basic income for all citizens. Sound familiar? He didn't call it socialism, but it checked a lot of the boxes. Over the 19th century, these socialist principles incubated in labor unions and later flourished during the Industrial Revolution when wealth was suddenly highly concentrated among an elite few in this gilded age. Capitalism became a common enemy for a population that felt left behind. In 1901, a few pro-socialist groups banded together to form the Socialist Party of America. Within a decade, socialist candidates began winning multiple local, state, and national level elections. By 1912, the party even ran a competitive candidate for president. But then came the First World War, the overthrow of imperialist Russia, and the rise of an oppressive communist Soviet Union. The U.S. government cracked down on perceived disloyalty at home in what became known as the First Red Scare. There had been nationwide raids, and the public seemed glad to have any type of radical brought to trial. American socialism continued to decline in the 1920s. And in the aftermath of the Great Depression, President FDR's New Deal of the 1930s, which promoted huge public works projects and programs like Social Security, only further served to steal the party's thunder. A rolling ball of economic recovery gathers thousands of men and women every week. With the end of World War II and the fall of Nazi Germany leaving a huge power vacuum in Western Europe, the democratic U.S. and its Western allies began a global, multi-decade battle against the communist USSR and its satellite states. Being a socialist was suddenly as good as being a communist, which was synonymous with being an enemy of the state. Republican Senator Joe McCarthy led the infamous Second Red Scare of the 1950s. The man assigned this communist pledge to pledge to support the Communist Party. 
It was a brutal and public witch hunt designed to identify anyone from communist sympathizers to secret Soviet agents. No one was free from scrutiny, not school teachers, artists, or journalists. Have you no sense of decency, sir? Let us not assassinate this lad further, Senator. You have done enough. Then the pendulum swung the other way. The 1960s saw the start of a multi-decade surge in left-wing politics. From the counterculture to civil rights and the anti-war movement, liberal politics became mainstream. But even with this resurgence of liberal ideas, socialism had faded to the background. Fast forward to 1989. Uh, and we have a remarkable development here tonight at the Brandenburg Gate. On the other side, East Germans have now come to the wall and many of them have been seen crawling up on the wall, being helped across by West Germans from this side. Down came the Berlin Wall, and with it, the end of the Cold War. The atrocities of autocratic communist states were on the world stage, and for a couple decades, the U.S. was happy to promote the win for democracy and capitalism, while socialism largely slipped out of the lexicon. But then came the 2008 financial crisis. Lehman here is going bankrupt. Some of the biggest names in American business are tonight gone, along with a lot of money and a lot of jobs. As millennials came into adulthood, the formative images seared into their minds weren't of the fall of the Berlin Wall, but of a financial meltdown. The foreclosure rate in this area right now is over 400%. It's a war out there. I mean, these people are losing homes every single day. Yeah, people sleeping on the street, sleeping on bus shelters. Is that where I'm going to end up? Stories like these pushed the country to a breaking point. Public outrage poured into the streets. Occupy movements across the country demonized capitalism, blaming it for the country's widespread economic inequality. Burdened by student debt and a tough job market, for many millennials, it seemed the free market wasn't working. Many wanted radical reform, but it wasn't until Bernie Sanders ran for president that they found a bigger name for their cause. America's socialist movement was reborn. Sanders had effectively tapped into a fresh crop of socialists, even though his platform wasn't offering anything particularly different to what he had already been talking about for decades. All right, I'm going to cut that off there because then, you know, it, it, it kind of just gives us a quick history of kind of how we got to where we're at now. And it, it leaves off there talking about Bernie and what he had to offer. Now, before I, I kind of give you the words of Bernie Sanders himself uh, in this next clip, I do want to point out that this voting block, these younger people that seem to be uh, all on feeling the burn in the Bernie bandwagon and whatever else they want to say, I think that she touches on a really good point in the fact that, that when they're coming of age, they're, they're hitting adulthood, what they're seeing around them was not they, they they don't know what socialism is and we we already showed you that in the beginning of the podcast they don't know what it is but what they do feel and, and apparently seem to think is that that you know something is not right something's not working capitalism must be to blame for all of our problems all of our woes you know and and there's not a lot of in what it appears to me um personal accountability uh, you know, and and they're glamming onto and grabbing a hold of these things, these promises. And politicians have been promising things forever on both sides of the aisle, and very rarely do they do they make 
make good on those promises. But in particular, the the Democratic Socialists are promising you know, free college. College is ridiculously expensive. I know. I borrowed a lot of money to get my my doctorate degree, so I I know how horribly expensive it is, and it's hard to pay back those student loans. I understand that. Healthcare, we can debate that all day long. Um, I personally don't feel that it's right. And anyways, so so a lot of what they're they're putting out there, this message of it's free, it's free. Let's tax the one percent. Let's take it from the you know. This message is is very appealing to those that that you know feel the system is not working for them. But let's talk about Bernie because again, he is the leader of the pack right now as far as the the democratic mantra, the democratic socialist mantra. So let's take a listen into exactly what uh, Bernie has to say with regards to socialism, democratic socialism, over the last, you know, X number of years of his career. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. The distribution of wealth in this country is one of the most unfair and distorted in the entire world. I think you change it through tax tax laws. I think you change it through public ownership of significant parts of the economy. Everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. Throughout his career, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has explained away the inevitable downsides of massively increasing the power of the state over the individual. It's a dictatorship. It's a poor economy. We want changes. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. Sanders once identified as a radical socialist who admired the achievements of Cuba under Fidel, of Nicaragua under the Sandinistas, and of the Soviet Union right up to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Their public transportation system was the cleanest, most effective mass transit system that I've ever seen in my life. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. Running for office in Vermont in the 70s, Sanders sought a top tax rate of 100%, saying nobody should earn more than a million dollars. Sanders wanted to stop businesses from moving out of their original communities, saying the ultimate solution to protect workers was national legislation that would bring about the public ownership of the major means of production. He favored the public ownership of utilities, banks, and major industries, without compensation to investors or stockholders. Face it, you don't find too many socialists in elective office in this country, and one is elected mayor of a sizable city, well that's news. Shortly after he was elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont in 1981, Sanders told a room full of charity workers, I don't believe in charities, because only the government should provide social services to the needy. Do I believe that the profit motive is fundamental to human nature? The answer is no. I think the spirit of cooperation, that you and I can work together better rather than having to compete against each other and Detroit, destroy each other. Healthcare is a right. Today, Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist and has himself become a millionaire. I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too. He favors single-payer health care, free public college for all, and a $15 minimum wage. We're not talking about Venezuela. We're not talking about Cuba. So the next time that you hear me attacked as a socialist, remember this. I don't believe government should take over, you know, the grocery store down the street or own the means of production. But one thing has remained constant as Sanders has shifted his model for U.S. policy from Nicaragua, Cuba, and the USSR to Denmark, Finland, and Sweden. In all of these countries, he's misled his followers about what's really happening. As a socialist, the word socialism does not frighten me, and I think it's probably fair to say that the Nicaraguan government is primarily a socialist government. The government there has the strange and unusual idea that they should attempt to do something for the people of Nicaragua 
rather than for the United States corporations. They are now teaching poetry not only to peasants and to workers, but in the, in the military, in the police department. When Sanders was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, he vowed that his city would defy the Reagan administration's embargo against Nicaragua and the Sandinistas, who had overthrown an American-backed dictator and instituted a revolutionary socialist government. In 1985, Sanders traveled to Nicaragua to attend a celebration in honor of the revolution's sixth anniversary. I mean, it's unbelievable to say that a mayor of a city of 38,000 is now the highest ranking American to visit them during the celebration of their revolution. I was treated, you know, in, in a special way. Surrounded by reporters at the airport upon his return, Sanders was enthusiastic about what he had seen in Nicaragua. Many of the things that we saw were impressive. There's a tremendous sense of energy. Sanders praised the Sandinista leadership and President Daniel Ortega. Ortega is an impressive guy. Ernesto Cardinal is a, is a funny looking guy. He's gray hair. And he really does remind you of the hippie. They are not, to quote Ronald Reagan, Looney Tune characters. I just went all around and stopped people and asked them, are you with the government or not? They kind of laugh. They don't quite understand what you're talking about. Of course they're with the government. Now, obviously, I will be attacked by every editorial writer in the free press for being a dumb dupe. Maybe I am. Uh, I was impressed by their intelligence and by their sincerity. These are not political hacks. He praised the seizure of private farms and businesses. In terms of land reform, giving for the first time in their lives, real land to farmers. And people of Nicaragua, the poor people, respect that. Rich people, needless to say, who used to have the good life there, are not terribly happy. What Sanders didn't mention was that by 1985, international watchdog groups had exposed the Sandinistas' significant human rights violations. A 1981 report by the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights revealed mass executions and persecution of indigenous peoples. And just two years before Sanders made his trip, Time magazine reported that hundreds of citizens were disappearing every month at the hands of the Sandinistas. Many of us get depressed about what's going on in Nicaragua today, the absolute lies that are coming out of the White House. In fact, we have a right to be very exhilarated. Sanders accused the American government and media of conspiring to cover up a socialist success story. The important story is not Nicaragua. When you read the New York Times, the real truth is not being told and how that's obfuscated. Okay, that's what the interesting story. If you get on the air and you say, I'm sympathetic to the Sandinista government. I think it was right they made their revolution. They're trying to do the right thing. No good. My point to Ortega is they are not getting their message of what they are trying to do out to the American people. Is there anything at all that you would trade? That's enough for tonight. I, I just came back from a 14-hour trip, so I... The Sandinistas would remain in power for five more years after Sanders' visit, and the Nicaraguan Permanent Commission on Human Rights would go on to document over 14,000 instances of rape, torture, and murder during their reign. They really were talking about a transformation of society, giving power to the poor people, to the working people, and that has caused the conflict, uh, needless to say, in Nicaragua, which we're seeing today. I remember for some reason, I was being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. I was a kid and I remember reading that. And it just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly rich people. While Sanders was still mayor of Burlington, he traveled to Cuba in 1989 to seek a meeting with Fidel Castro, though he ended up settling for the mayor of Havana. By this time, Castro had seized private farms and businesses, imprisoned artists, created informant squads to monitor and arrest dissenters, and forced gay citizens and other undesirables into labor camps. Everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world, that all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They had forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. You know, not to say that Fidel Castro or Cuba are perfect, they are certainly not. 
Castro was open about his need to limit individual rights in order to ensure collective rights. He understood that curbing press freedoms was a prerequisite for the success of a socialist government, saying he couldn't tolerate dissidents in the mass media because the people's cohesion is fundamental. If you ask us if a paper could appear here against socialism, I could say honestly, no, it cannot appear. In that sense, we do not have the freedom of the press that you possess in the US. But Sanders disagreed with Castro. He thought the American press was similarly compromised because it was controlled by politicians and big money interests. Beginning to read about the Cuban Revolution, and what I was more impressed about is how it was being reported in the United States press. And I began to understand that you don't always hear all of the truth. For example, just last night I was watching Canadian television, which we get down here. There was a program on Cuba. We're not allowed to see those programs here in the United States. Just because Ronald Reagan dislikes these people does not need to say that the people in their own nations feel the same way. Today, the Cuban government censors the internet, bans public displays of affection between gay couples, and jails people for criticizing the government. You could say there's some positive things in Cuba, some very negative things. Fifty years after the revolution, people still can't uh, dissent with freedom. The economy is terrible. But, you know, it's somehow they've decided that Cuba is the only non-democratic country in the world. Glory to the great Soviet people, the builders of communism. I mean, the problem with the word socialism is that very often it's been equated with what happens in the Soviet Union, which is authoritarianism and totalitarianism. I believe very strongly in the right of dissent. Sanders traveled to the Soviet Union in 1988, three years before its collapse. He had gotten married to his second wife, Jane, the day before leaving, and the trip doubled as what he called, quote, a very strange honeymoon. Sanders formalized Burlington's relationship with its Russian sister city, Yaroslavl, and praised the communist government's social and cultural achievements. We went to a theater in Yaroslavl, which was absolutely beautiful, had three separate stages, including a puppeteer uh, area, and the cost, the highest price of the ticket that you can get, was the equivalent of $1.50. En route home, a journalist confronted him again at the airport with reporting by the Associated Press of dilapidated, unsanitary living conditions and food shortages in Yaroslavl. If there was no hot water and no food, you know, I can't, none of us even exhaust an exhaustive study of living conditions in Yaroslavl. I didn't notice much deprivation. How it is that a fair statement? Later, he said he was impressed by Soviet officials' transparency in acknowledging their housing crisis, which he found comparable to America's. They have a major housing crisis, which they acknowledge. But they acknowledge that not only do they not have enough housing, but the construction and the quality of their housing is also not adequate. And they were very free uh, to mention that. But you know, one can't isolate a situation and say, look, socialism has failed over there compared to what? Do you know that in the United States of America today, the average married couple can no longer afford at home. Sanders also appreciated the Soviets' openness about other issues and believed policymakers in the U.S. had much to learn from the communist system. They are absolutely open in acknowledging that they are not a democratic society. Their healthcare system is free, but they would be uh, open to acknowledge that it is probably 10 years behind the United States in terms of medical technology. We were willing to be critical of the United States. We were there to say, yeah, we have problems, you have problems. There are strengths to your system, there are strengths to our system. Our goal was let's take the strengths of both systems. This land was made for you and me. What I believe in has nothing to do with communism. 
After a failed run for governor of Vermont in 1986, around the fall of the Soviet Union, Sanders set his sights on higher office. You know, we freed the slaves a long, long time ago, but in many respects, the average working person today has very little rights. He rebranded himself a democratic socialist and won a seat in Congress in 1990. Authoritarian communism has been a vicious political system which over its length of time has resulted in the murder of many, many millions of people. As an economic system, it has not succeeded, and I'm delighted to see its demise. That has nothing to do with democratic socialism. Today, Sanders objects to comparisons between his policies and those of the Sandinistas or Castros. When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela, I'm not looking at Cuba, I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. What hasn't changed is Sanders' unwillingness to acknowledge the political and economic realities of the countries he points to as models. Scandinavia is a bastion of free market capitalism. In the Libertarian Fraser Institute's 2018 Human Freedom Index, Norway, Denmark, and Finland ranked higher than the United States. And in 2015, the Danish Prime Minister directly contradicted Sanders' claims. I know that uh, some people in, in the US associate the Nordic model with some sort of socialism. Therefore, I would like to make one thing clear. Uh, Denmark is uh, far from a socialist planned economy. It might surprise some of you, but Forbes last year named Denmark the best country in the world for business. Denmark does offer expansive social benefits, including single-payer healthcare, free education, and months of paid family leave. What is the catch, you could ask? And the most obvious one is, of course, the high taxes. The top income tax in Denmark is almost 60%. When you think about 90%, you don't think that's obviously too high? No. Danish citizens also pay a 25% sales tax and excise taxes on cars of up to 180%. But tax revenue in Nordic countries isn't enough to pay for their social programs, which are unsustainable in their current form. We have no choice but to reform our society in order to preserve the welfare state and the public support for it. Sweden is raising its retirement age and further privatizing parts of its healthcare system. In Finland, the coalition government recently resigned after it failed to pass reforms it viewed as crucial to averting financial ruin. Denmark is increasing its retirement age to 73 and cutting spending and taxes. The answer cannot always be send more money. I want to improve our competitiveness, reduce taxes for business, remove red tape. Sanders also points to Norway as a model, a country where massive oil production subsidizes the welfare benefits of a population that's roughly 62 times smaller than in the U.S. He never acknowledges fundamental differences between the Nordic countries and America, or the true costs of the policies he champions. Sanders wants to offer even more generous benefits than those in Scandinavia, and thinks that the wealthiest taxpayers can simply foot the bill. So you're saying we can pay for all this without raising taxes on anybody but the 1%? May have to go down a little bit lower than that, but not much lower. Sanders has proposed a government takeover of the healthcare sector, or about 18% of GDP, at a cost of $32 trillion over 10 years. He wants to increase Social Security benefits, offer free public college, and grant the state sweeping new powers to tackle climate change through the Green New Deal, policies that would add at least another $50 trillion to the budget. When you're dealing with the future of the planet, I don't know how you go too far. These are not radical extremist ideas. I am not coming before the American people and say, look, I am this radical, wild-eyed socialist. Crazy ideas, but listen to me, you know. You have more and more growth producing products that we do not necessarily need. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you don't necessarily need a choice of 23 underarm spray deodorants <laughs> or 18 different pairs of sneakers when children are hungry in this country. 
it's all in keeping with his decades-long pattern of ignoring the downsides of centralizing authority and massively increasing the size of the government. Massive investments, massive investments, massive investments, massive investments. My vision is not just making modest changes around the edge. It is transforming American society. So when I use the word socialist, and I know some people are uncomfortable about it, I say that it is imperative that we create a political revolution, and I hope you will be part of that movement, because if you are, we can in fact transform this country. So as American voters consider whether to sign up for part two of Sanders' political revolution, they should consider whether this time it really will be different. They really were talking about a transformation of society. Healthcare in Nicaragua is now free. It is terrible. It is very primitive compared to what we get, but they now have it free. There is so much, <clears throat> so much in that clip, I couldn't even begin to dissect it all. But that, in a nutshell, is Bernie Sanders, guys. That's what he is advocating for. And if you notice, at least from the research I was able to do, Bernie's not visiting the Scandinavian countries that he is showing to everyone saying that this is what we need to do. No, where did he go? He went to Cuba. He went to the Soviet Union. So he is, first and foremost, no matter what he says, he is a socialist. He's a proclaimed socialist, not a democratic socialist. He's using that to sway the people to come over to his side. And I don't think that this relabeling of his political ideology you know, came about because he's really genuine. I think it came about because he knows he cannot sell socialism to Americans at large because of the miserable failure it's been the world over. Secondly, something else that I noticed in there, and this goes along with what we told you about, <clears throat> excuse me, about uh, socialism in general, he does believe in the seizure of personal property from the citizens. Now, albeit he says he wants to take it from the rich to give to the poor, but again, he wants to seize property, and that means that you wouldn't own anything. Rather, the government would own and control property. Talks about free health care. Okay, guys, this is not, I mean, first of all, without going too far off topic here, healthcare is changing drastically in this country. The advent of technology and what's happening with technology is changing the face of healthcare in ways that most people don't even understand. So in, in if I'm honest, the debate about healthcare is, is really kind of a moot point because, you know, in 10 years from now, we're not going to recognize what healthcare is doing and how great it is. But let's stick with the, the topic at hand, okay? He wants free health care for everyone. Currently, he's proposing you know, his Medicare for All, which would, again, eliminate private insurance because everyone would have to be on the Medicare for All. You don't have a choice in this matter. You're forced into the government system. So that's going to eliminate millions of jobs right there. So that one thing that he is, is pr proposing is going to eliminate jobs. Also, it's going to cost the tune of about $32 trillion, okay? How many people out there listening to my voice know what the current U.S. debt is? If you don't, I'll tell you. Currently, it's about $23 trillion for the entire, the, 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 whole, the whole debt ball that we have is $23 trillion. And he wants to throw on top of that another $32 trillion just for health care. Just for health care. 
Then on top of that, to pay for his other social programs, which honestly are much, 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 much more aggressive than the social welfare systems over in, in, in Sweden and Denmark and those other countries, it's going to cost an additional $50 trillion proposed. So let's just do a little bit of math. $23 trillion of current debt, $32 trillion for healthcare, and $50 trillion for other social programs. People. It's not sustainable, okay? Under the current debt that we have, the $23 trillion that currently America has, that breaks down to $70,208 per citizen. Every citizen in this country owes $70,208. That is more than many Americans make in a year working very hard. But that's what currently every citizen owns. Now, if you take that and say, okay, well, what about the taxpayers, the people that pay taxes in America? The amount that every taxpayer would have to pay to take care of this debt load that we already have is $187,390 per taxpayer. Guys, taxing the 1% at 100%, taking everything that they own, will not fund these programs, okay? It just won't. It sounds good. It gives you the warm fuzzies inside, but it's not reality. It will destroy America in every shape, way, and form. It will make life miserable. And and of note, I don't know if you caught it, but the last little bit of that clip I just played for you, this is what he had to say about health care in a socialist country or <clears throat> in particular Nicaragua. Quote, health care in Nicaragua is now free. Yay! Uh, and this is, but this is the important part. He says it is terrible. It is very primitive compared to what we get, but it is now free. The people now have it for free. Okay, so everyone, it won't work. Okay, it just won't. And would you want free health care if it sucks? Would you want that? I mean, if you had to wait in line for procedures and and we're getting crappy care, would would you want that? No. No, you wouldn't because it, it's it's a horrible system. But, you know, again, let's give Bernie and the Democratic Socialists, the leftists, the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, 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 maybe they do have something. Maybe Sweden really is the utopia that we hear Bernie Sanders talking about. So, after the break, I'm going to delve into all things Sweden and talk about what I have found as I've done some research here. So, let's go ahead and let's hop on over here and we'll take a quick break and I'll be right back. All right, guys, I want to talk to you about a couple things with which pertains to, you know, social media. I've talked about a lot on previous episodes. So if you've listened to these other episodes, you'll know what I'm, where I'm going. But I am a big, big advocate for alternatives to the, the big companies that we've been stuck with for years, Facebook and Twitter and those things, because they are they are not good as far as um, freedom of speech in particular. You know, they have algorithms in place to to silence people. It's kind of like a digital gulag, if you will. 
So I've already talked about in episodes past, but I want to remind you that the alternative to Facebook is minds.com. They are a fantastic website where no one has to worry about that demonetization or the censorship or unfair treatment that we know is happening on Facebook. Minds offers a fully transparent and privacy-focused platform with no bias, hidden algorithms, or censorship. And if you are a content creator, you can upgrade to a pro account, get paid for your work, morph your channel into a full-blown website with your own subdomain or custom domain, newsfeed, logo, theme, categories, and footers. Minds also allows you to leverage the technology of blockchain and crypto payments to eliminate the middleman and maintain autonomy over your revenue streams. So if you are tired of Facebook and having them hold you back, set up your Minds account today, minds.com. Once you do that, make sure you come over and subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast channel today. And now let's head back to the show. for sticking with me here. I promise that this is going to only get better as we switch gears and talk a little bit about Sweden. Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Oh, wonderful Sweden. That's all we've heard forever from the left is we need to be like Sweden. Well, what do we know about Sweden? Okay. First of all, let me give you a few talking points that the left loves to point out. First, their poverty rate is less than half that of the United States. They offer free health care, free higher education, they have paternal leave, free vacation, free retirement, a living minimum wage, and they also have a higher happiness index score and a higher individual GDP than the United States. So don't those points right there blow apart every capitalist's message and prove that democratic socialism is the bee's knees. It is the perfect way for us to be, and we need to become like Sweden. Never mind that we heard earlier Denmark's uh, prime minister, I believe, say that at least Denmark's not a socialist economy, free market, capitalist, number one on Forbes list as far as uh, places to do business. But, you know, the truth of the matter is this. Scandinavian countries, including Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, and Finland, are not socialist at all. They're not. They're free market, guys. In fact, those four countries rank about the same as the U.S. in economic freedom currently. Now, what the difference is, is they have a very robust welfare systems that have been put there by previous administrations. But what they don't tell you, and what Bernie doesn't tell you, is that since the 1990s, these countries have been steadily trimming back their social programs and taxes, okay? As far as the poverty levels are concerned, national poverty levels are measured comparatively to what other people in the same country are making. That line varies from country to country, and not even the World Bank will release comparative data sets on that. All four countries have higher individual and family tax burdens in the United States, with Sweden and Finland being significantly higher. We already heard that the highest tax bracket in Denmark is like 60%. Do you know what your tax bracket is? Do you know what you're paying? I guarantee it's not anything close to 60%, especially under President Trump's tax cut plan that he introduced when he first became president. 
But let's do some apples to apples comparisons here, guys, okay? Let's take a quick look here at a, an example salary of $54,000 in the US and in Sweden. So someone gets paid $54,000 annually in both countries. Let's look first at Sweden. What does $54,000 look like after taxation? Well, the employer taxes for hiring you will cost mm, about $15,106. Then your personal taxes to pay for all this socialist wonderfulness, ooey gooey deliciousness, is going to run you another $19,286. So at the end of the day, what you're left to take home is roughly your net income is about twenty dollars to $25,000 a year. So you're paid $54,000, but all you get in your pocket, twenty dollars to $25,000. That does not seem right to me. Now, let's look at the United States with that same $54,000 per year. Employer taxes for hiring you, right around $4,125. Your personal taxes are going to run you about $10,597. So your take home from $54,000 gross is going to be a net income of $39,000 roughly. So what that means is somewhere between $14,000 and $19,000 more of the cash that you worked hard to earn is going into your pocket where you get 100% control and say of what happens with that money. And less is going into the government coffers where you have absolutely no say in how it is spent. Okay? To me, guys, it's just, it's, it's just common sense. I mean, that, that's all it is. Why on earth would you want a big, huge, bloated, out-of-control government taking away more of your money and spending on things that you have absolutely no say on? Or you can keep more of your money. You can have a say in how it's spent. You can control. Do you want health care? Do you, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, do you want to put away for college education so you don't have to borrow student loans? I mean, all these things, guys, allow the individual to have control. Okay? So definitely, in my opinion, way, way better here in the United States. Now, we did talk about, you know, their GDP. Their, their gross, domestic pro gross domestic product. Well, according to the World's Bank most recent data, only Norway had a higher GDP per capita than the United States, and that is mainly due to boom, 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 their large petroleum reserves. That's right, people. Norway is a horrible country for Mother Earth. They're dealing with oil. Well, we can't have that. We already know about the Green New Deal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and, and we have to get rid of all things oil-related. Well, Norway's doing better on the GDP per capita because of petroleum reserves. Now, it is also note, worth noting that their per capita GDP has drastically dropped in recent years. Hmm. All right, so that's not holding up there. High minimum wage. They have a living wage, guys. They can they 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 pay people, you know, those entry level jobs. They pay them a living wage, a high minimum wage. Well, in in Sweden at least, that wage is not set by the government. People, it's not. Government has no say in it. But in fact, it's negotiated industry by industry between businesses and unions. So basically, those two kind of fight it out. They duke it out on a regular basis to negotiate what is the minimum wage. And it is high, um, but, you know, that's what they do, okay? So it is very clear to me from what I've seen so far that Sweden is not a socialist or even a democratic socialist country. It is a free market-based economy with a very large welfare system. 
Okay, that's what this is. So when Bernie and and the left tell you that we need to be socialist or democratic socialist like Sweden, don't believe it. It's a lie. It's not true. But if you don't believe me, okay, if you don't believe what I'm saying, that I'm just some kind of crazy kook out there, or your friends don't believe what I'm, I have to say here, how about if we take a look at Swedish history via a person who uh, was born and raised there. He's a Swedish entrepreneur and a business owner. I, In doing research for this show, I came across a video by Henrik Jonsson, uh, who is a YouTuber and an entrepreneur. He owns a business over in Sweden, and he did an excellent, excellent job. And he started out by talking about the history of Sweden. The title of the video is The Truth About Swedish Socialism, Debunking the Lies of the Left. And what Henrik goes on to share is, in the history of Sweden, you really need to understand where they came from in order to understand what they've developed into as a country. And he outlines some some key points. First of all, he starts way back in 1867. And at that point in time in Swedish history, 70% of the population were farmers. And between 1868 and 1869, over 10,000 Swedes died from starvation. Over the next 40 years, 1.5 million Swedes fled the country because of the poverty and the famine that was being seen there in the country, and they headed over to America. So now we're going to fast forward to the mid-1960s, and Sweden is one of the richest per capita countries in the world. So what the heck happened, you know, between, you know, that time and, and the 1960s? Because in the 1960s, Median income had grown by almost 10 times, and the average life expectancy was increased by around 30 years. Now, the government credited themselves with these tremendous improvements due to, quote, you guessed it, democratic socialism. This is the period that most Westerners really cling to as the model that they should embrace, but it's just not true. Here's the truth, according to this video, and what it says is that the transition from an agrarian society to an industrialized nation was made possible by a number of laissez-faire reforms that were championed towards the end of the 19th century. Now, you may not be familiar with the term laissez-faire, so I looked it up and wanted to make sure we were on the same page. It is a policy or attitude of letting things take their own course without interfering. Definitely doesn't sound like democratic socialism or socialism of any kind or even communism sounds much much more like capitalism so what happened in sweden is they brokered free trade agreements with superpowers of europe at the time and they abolished the guilds uh, who up until the end of the 19th century dictated who got to work in what profession private ownership rights were strengthened not the rights of the government to own the means of production aka socialism it was made easier to form startup companies and the citizens were allowed to keep the majority of the fruit of their labors. There was massive deregulation during this time, and that saw the productivity of the Swedes soar, and the country rapidly became a leading European, European industrial nation. Now, it wasn't until the aftermath of World War II that Sweden was propelled from an industrial growth economy into the super-rich per capita wealthiest nation on the planet. Now, the reason for this, and this is very important, the reason Sweden was able to do this was because of its policy of neutrality, which provided Sweden with an excuse for collaborating with the Nazis in order to avoid occupation like Denmark and, and Norway. Basically, what Sweden did was they said, we'll trade you granite, iron ore, and we'll even lease you some train cars to the Third Reich, which allowed them to really profit from the German war effort. And at the end of the war... 
with the rest of the of Europe in ruins, and they really needed to be re- rebuilt. I mean, the whole country was, or you know, Europe was basically in ruins. The Swedish industrial exports really soared, and so did the wealth. So now, between 1945 and 1970, these were the golden years of social democracy, as they like to say in the history of Sweden. And this was a complete lie, honestly, because there wasn't much of a big government at that time. During the 1950s, the total tax rate was around 20%, and this was less than most of Europe and the U.S. at that time. They were only paying 20% taxes. Sweden also had a much smaller public sector than the U.S. during this time. But things really started to change in the 1960s, okay? In the 1960s, this is where we enter the era of post-war government drunk on the capital flowing through the Swedish economy, and it started to have to basically raise taxes. And they, in addition to the large taxes that they started to implement, they started to establish large-scale benefit programs for the redistribution of wealth, another key phrase we hear from democratic socialists, redistribution of wealth. This wealth had been generated on a combination of free trade, entrepreneurship, and a questionable relationship between the socialist government of Sweden and the Third Reich. Now, as soon as the socialist reforms started to be implemented, guess what? The economy started to tank. Shocker! During the 1970s, the inflated post-war export revenues normalized, and the increased tax hikes made Sweden less productive, which quickly made the populistic welfare reforms and generous government handouts underfinanced. In order to sustain the welfare systems, further tax increases were introduced, which lessened productivity even further. This also reduced individuals' incentives to invest in their own education and professional skills. Combine all this together with the generous welfare benefits, and that made it less and less desirable to work at all for low-skilled laborers. During this time, you may have heard of a company by the name of IKEA, which is you know one of Sweden's big, big uh, claims to fame. But the founder of IKEA and the world-famous director Ingmar Bergman, they actually left Sweden. They went bye-bye because of its unsustainable taxation policies. Another famous Swede by the name of Astrid Lindgren, who is the author of the world-famous Pippi Longstocking books, she actually wrote a scathing story of her own experience with taxes in Sweden because her tax rate had reached 102%. That meant that she was losing money every time a copy of her book sold. Wrap your heads around that, guys. A tax rate of 102%. And we heard previously Bernie mentioned that 90% taxes is not uh, beyond reason in his mind. Okay, so he he's not too far off 102%, okay? During the 1980s, the Swedish welfare system was so underfunded that the government in uh, basically had to start borrowing against the pension funds in a futile attempt to sustain the socialist utopia that never really existed. By the 1990s, the Swedish economy could no longer sustain itself, and it crashed, and when it did, it crashed hard. I mean, harder than the 2008 thing that you know most people are talking about here in America. For a brief period, the Swedish interest rates were at 500%. How'd they fix this? Well, you guessed it. Severe austerity reforms were introduced by a crisis committee which had broad support in parliament. Overall, Sweden lost about 30% of all their wealth. Remember how Sweden was ranked number one per capita wealth in the world in 1970? Well, if you go to the year 2000, they dropped all the way from number one 
down to number 14. And this was the result of Sweden's experiment with socialism. And I'll be honest with you, the more I research this, the more I can tell you that this is the result of anyone who experiments with any form of socialism. It is a failed system. It does not work. And I'm sorry, you know, if life is rough for some people, but socialism is not the answer. So you may be asking yourself, well, how did Sweden, how'd they repair it? How'd they repair the country? Well, during the 1990s and early 2000s, massive structural and financial reforms were passed through parliament and step by step, mending the damage that socialism had done to Sweden was implemented. Taxes were slashed drastically. And this resulted in the creation of several digital startup companies that included some you may have heard of, Skype, Spotify, Klarna, the healthcare system that everyone idolizes because it's free. Well, it was uh, supplemented by allowing private surgeries and clinics and allowing citizens to carry private insurance if they wanted to. The pension system was reformed so that citizens could have greater control of how they wanted their money invested. And the school system opened up to allow private schools to operate alongside municipal schools, allowing Swedes the opportunity to choose which schools their children went to. Here in America, this would be equated uh, to like a voucher system where you could kind of, you get some money and you get to pick where your kids go to school. As far as the uh, utilities, well, the utility providers were actually privatized. The TV and radio state monopolies were dismantled along private companies to operate TV and radio channels for the first time in Swedish history. And prior to this, you know, you couldn't choose what TV or radio station to watch or listen to because it was all state mandate, I mean, state run. Didn't have that choice. The uh, the government run giant telecommunications company was turned into a publicly traded company, and with other commercial companies, uh, they were all competing for the public's business. Kind of a fun fact along this line. I don't know if you know this or not. I didn't until I was you know looking things up for this, but. Um, <clears throat> that uh, if you were born prior to the 1990s um, in Sweden, you couldn't legally own a telephone. It was actually lent to you by the government. And it was also illegal to uh, bring a phone in from abroad and actually connect it to the Swedish telephone network. Since the 1990s, Swedish growth rate has been around 50%. And honestly, as I look at this, everything that has been good that has come out of Sweden was mainly because of laissez-faire policies and because the Swedish people are decent, hardworking, and unfortunately at times were, you know, they suffered under questionable governments. But when Sweden was allowed to flourish and the government kind of had its hands off, aka capitalism, they flourished and they prospered, okay? So in a nutshell, where is Sweden today? Well, they are mostly a free market capitalist-based economy with a large social uh, welfare program, basically. That's where they're at, guys. So they are not anything that we have been told from Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and, and those on the left. Now, so hopefully you found this episode to be really kind of enlightening and give you a better understanding of of what the the sale of goods, the bill of goods that uh, that the, the democratic socialists want you to have. Speaking of them, uh, before I wrap things up here, I do want to touch on one last thing that uh, came out in the news this week. 
and uh, you may have seen it. If not, I'm going to play a couple clips for you here. But uh, the group Project Veritas, they're famous for their underground videos that they do. Well, they actually uh, released two videos, and um, these are of a Bernie Sanders field organizer who's been working on the ground in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Now, before I play this for you, I want to warn you that while the video is heavily edited for profanity, some of what this person has to say may be quite offensive to some people. So here we go. Like free speech has repercussions. So if Trump gets reelected, what? Cities burn. And the only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way that you can confront them is with violence. It's a directive from Bernie that we can't attack Warren. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. Meet Kyle Jurek, a field organizer in Iowa for presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Jurek says cities are going to burn if Trump gets reelected. These are worrisome words from someone who works for a man running to be president of the United States. Now, the evidence shows Kyle Jurek has been in politics since 2018, when, according to these FEC records, Jurek was paid $500 while working for the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee. The FEC records also show he has worked for the Sanders campaign for over six months. And so far, Jurek has earned nearly $11,000. Yeah, they, they seem emboldened. They have been emboldened by, by Trump, all that rhetoric and shit. Um, but they are scared and senseless of anti-fascists. Like, even, like, even, like, the ones that are kind of like, you know, the right-wing people. The only thing that works the only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way that you can confront them is with violence. So if Trump gets reelected, what? F***ing cities burn. What we gotta do? Yeah. I mean, we don't have a lot of time left. We have to save, like, human civilization. And obviously, Trump don't give two about making sure that the world doesn't burn. Bernie doesn't get the nomination, but it goes to the second round at the DNC convention. Milwaukee, the word. It'll start in Milwaukee, and then when they and when the police push back on that, and other cities are just be ready to be in Milwaukee for the DNC convention. What am I saying? Oh, I plan on being there. What about Des Moines? We're gonna make 1978 look like a f***ing Girl Scout f***ing cookout. <laughs> what does that mean? Remember what happened when McGovern got f***ed in, in Chicago in 1978? Riots. F***ing people getting beaten by the cops. The cops are gonna be the ones that are getting beaten in Milwaukee. You're gonna call out the National Guard for that shit. Jurek is clearly very radical, but also very confused about his political history. He talks about riots in Chicago in 1978 when George McGovern was running for president. In fact, the riots were in 1968 when Hubert Humphrey was the Democratic nominee. McGovern ran for president in 1972, and there were no riots that year. Like, if Bernie doesn't, if, it, if they f***ing take Bernie from us, 
been, we have nothing else left to lose. But at all costs, whatever it takes. Um, and that's why, like, when they're like, oh, anti fascists are violent, it's because we're willing to go above and beyond what the law says is acceptable. Like, oh, free speech, yeah. Like, they're, they try to be like, you know, oh, you're a victim, or you're, you're against free speech. No, we're not against free speech. We're against hate speech. And if your speech, free, free speech is something that, like, these people shouldn't exist, then I don't give a f if it's free speech or not. You don't need to, like, free speech has repercussions. Yeah, you, there are consequences to your Right? Um, and if your speech is calling for the elimination of people based on race or gender or uh, uh, religious, uh, like for whatever reason, like things that people can't change, then you should expect a violent reaction. And you deserve a violent reaction. Because, like, that's it's just not an acceptable thing. It's not acceptable. So many people have suicided themselves that have been related to the Clintons in some way or another. It's fucking insane. Kill the Clintons? Baby, revolution. Kill the Clintons? Revolution is on. Let me tell you something about this revolution. No, we, we don't gotta kill the Clintons. We'll make them kill themselves. How's that? Reign of terror. It's clear in Jurek's idea of a revolution, Democratic candidates like Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg wouldn't be safe, and in his world, Networks like MSNBC or even moderate liberals wouldn't be immune. Throw down? I'm ready to throw down now. I don't, I don't want to wait, have to wait for to see it. Yeah, with who though? Who, who's you going to throw down with? Billionaire class. Media. Go walk into that MSNBC studios, drag those up by their hair and light them on fire in the streets. Guys like that. What are we gonna do with them? Gulag. <laughs> Liberals get the fucking wall first. What are we gonna do with those people that resist the change? Because that's a big deal. Well, I'll tell you what. In Cuba, what do they do to reactionaries? They shot them on the beach. You want to fight against the revolution? You're going to die for it, <laughs> motherfucker. Jurek also has some pretty harsh words for Sanders' rival on the left, Elizabeth Warren. He is particularly critical of her staffers in Iowa. They're like sending canvassers to our events. Like, we had that climate summit with Naomi Klein and AOC. F***ing Warren campaign, campaign people show up, want to table the event, want to set up a table for Warren at the event. We're like, get the out of here. This isn't a Warren event. You're not coming in here and f***ing scooping up people. Like, no. No. It is a competition, you know. Yeah, like, we're not on the same team, guys. Like, you know, like, I know you guys like to say, like, hey, Warren's just like Bernie, but a woman. But guess what? You're done. We're not on the same team. Yeah, I, I put it up. Bernie's a bad judge of character. So, like, he has, like, uh, Weaver, who, uh, who is his like one of his like campaign like like senior advisors, uh, is a shit fucking human. But he like but he likes him. You know, Bernie likes him. Bernie's you know Why is he's seventy eight years old and he's like set in his ways and he like yeah. you know that's one one weakness that Bernie has is he's a bad judge of character with some people. Like he loves Elizabeth. Like he's friends with Elizabeth Warren. He's friends with this. You know, what can you do? 
Uh, I mean, he Bernie has like kind of started opening up lines of attack against Warren. Uh, but he keeps it. But he keeps it policy based. People tell me that at on the doors, like, yeah, you know, I like Bernie, but I really want a woman to be. It's like, wait, so like, you're okay with a woman if she has worse policies? Like, just because she's a woman, because she has a vagina, that's why you're gonna vote for her. Like, if we could beat Donald Trump, as long as we nominate a woman, like, idiot, like, what the? They don't get it, man. Like the world is on fire. This is an emergency situation, and you're hung up on vaginas. <laughs> is this someone you want to be part of your government? Keep in mind, Jurek was an open book. On day one, he told us he wanted to punch, quote, Nazis, burn cities down if Trump wins again in a free election, and spoke of shooting people, shooting people, if they couldn't be, quote, re-educated. Is Kyle Jurek the true but hidden face of the Sanders campaign? Is the Sanders campaign going to fire Kyle Jurek? Are they going to say he's a lone wolf or an isolated incident? Well, in our next release, you will hear Jurek say some of the most shocking and disturbing totalitarian aspirations ever spoken during a presidential campaign. Stay tuned, America. More to come. Holy cow. That's just part one of what this lunatic is, is saying. And I'm not even going to comment about it now because we're just going to roll right into part two and uh, see what else this uh, person has to say. On Tuesday, we met Bernie Sanders campaign staffer Kyle Jurek, an extreme radical who has been paid more than $10,000 for his campaign work. We wonder... How many other radicals like Jurek are embedded in the Sanders campaign apparatus? Jurek's ideas are beyond scary, especially his take on the Soviet Union's gulags. There's a reason Joseph Stalin had gulags, right? And actually, gulags were a lot better than like what like the CIA has told us that they were. Wait a second. This is crazy talk. I mean, the most comprehensive literary work about the Soviet Union was done by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for describing the horror, the violence, the tragedy, the carnage, the genocide that occurred in the Soviet gulags. And while we released a video yesterday, this video has even more discussion and praise about these gulags. Quote, prisoners would have their skulls squeezed with iron rings, that a human being would be lowered into an acid bath, that they would be trussed up naked to be bitten by ants and bedbugs, that a ramrod heated over a primus stove would be thrust up their anal canal, the secret brand, that a man's genitals would be slowly crushed beneath the toe of a jackboot, and that, in the luckiest possible circumstances, prisoners would be tortured by being kept from sleeping for a week, by thirst, and by being beaten to a bloody pulp. Uh, so that, like, that was the intention. Of, of gulags, right? It's like not only to like limp to like remove the like people that were like insidious to the state from the state. Like, hey, you guys are all causing problems. You're like working against the revolution. We're just gonna remove you and put you in Siberia, where you learn the fucking value of like being a comrade. Like, I mean, and that's like you know that's what it has to be. Like our prisons in the United States right now are far worse far worse than anything that they experienced in 
and Google ads. Like, people get raped. People fucking work 12 hours a day. People have to go fight fires in California for a dollar. You know what I mean? Like, that's fucked up. That's super fucked up. Yeah. Um, the Soviet Union didn't do that shit. Like... You're not gonna get, you're not gonna get Bernie to say gulags, but, like... I'm all aboard for gulags. Like, I, I, I feel as though there needs to be re-education for a significant portion of our society. I think he is, too. I mean, but you can't, uh, running for president in the United States, you can't say, you can't say anything like that, right? Well, and then, like you said, I mean, if people don't want to get on board, it's, you know, you were saying that the gulags are better than whatever. Putting them against the wall. Yeah. And the alternative, instead of, like, trying to, like, re, re-educate these people and put them back into society, the, other, the only other alternative is to you know what I mean? Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist, but Jurek says he is more a communist than a democratic socialist, and he's proud of it. And he proclaims he is not alone. That's crazy, though, that guy was saying. Yeah. It's like, I know we have a lot of, like, the communists and the Marxists, like, on our side. But yeah, that's... I'm one of them. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, there's, that I know of, one, two, or four of the organizers in this office are, are you know, leftists of some <laughs> of some degree, further left than democratic socialists. Right. To what degree, you know, varies, but many of many of the organizers that I met, uh, actually, I didn't even count Justin. So Justin, me, Derek, Danielle, uh, Jessica, um, are all definitely further left than democratic socialists. There's a lot of me's in the Bernie campaign. Like, the whole basis of, like, communism is, like, people, like, people and planet above property, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're here to preserve the planet, preserve people. We don't want to have to, like, eliminate people, right? But if people are going to try to fight back against the revolution, like, when you hear about, like, uh... So like atrocities committed by like in Cuba, like Fidel and, and Che, like killing people. Like those people that were actively like they were like anti-revolution. They were like they were they were fighting against the revolution. Like in any war, like if you like when you guys were in war, and you encountered people that were fighting against you. What did you do to those people? Right. I mean, the same thing. Same thing holds true in revolution, right? Like, you can't abide people like actively working against your revolution. Like, you can you can give them a choice. Be like, hey, you can join the revolution. You can not be a bootlicker. Uh, you can sit idly by and allow it to happen. But if you're gonna take up arms against the revolution, then you should expect a violent response, right? Like, it's natural fight or die okay. yeah what they kept in the revolution yeah and that's kind of where we're at right now that's we're at a, we're at one of those moments in human history where it's like we're fighting for survival we're fighting for the survival of the entire human race we're fighting for, for the survival of living creatures on planet earth uh and and you know there's some people that We'll stop at nothing to preserve that, right? Like, right. to see that, to see the human race continue into the future, right? right? To try to save the planet from mm -hmm. destruction. Um, 
and no matter what country or what laws that exist, they don't they're irrelevant to there are things greater than those than, than those systems, right? Right. Um, there are things that are more important than the rule of law in the United States when it comes down to the existence of the human race. And that's where we're at, unfortunately. And like this is like there are very few, there are probably no other points in human history, in like recorded human history, where like the stakes were as high as they are right now. Like we are at a, f-ing, we're we're at the end, we're at the end of the road. And like the way we choose to go is going to determine like, hey, are we going to continue as a species or are we going to burn up in a f-ing center? Jurek goes on to say that even violent groups like Antifa are folded quietly into the Sanders campaign staff. So I know you have like the Antifa sticker on your laptop. Have you ever done like been in any of those like crazy? There was a couple things that uh, events they came to. They came to Lansing and they came to Ann Arbor. Uh huh. That was there for those. Did you ever like help out or participate in any of it? Uh, yeah. I mean, like so. Like, I didn't help organize it. Right. Uh, but I was there in support. Uh huh. You know, I have, I have yet to punch a Nazi. There's some here. A lot of them are probably on the Bernie campaign. Uh, but there are some DS, there's a DSA chapter here, so like some of the DSA folks are probably engaged. We've been looking, we've been looking for an action to like participate in, like in regards to like, oh, look at that. That's but, uh, uh, but like in regards to like immigration and ICE, mm-hmm. we've been looking for like looking for something to pop off where we can pop right back off. Earlier this week, we sent one of our journalists into Jurek's office to check on his status. I, I've met him a few times. Yeah, I met him at an event with Rose, and then mm-hmm. we were talking about policy yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's fabulous. Okay. So, yeah, just life. It's so unfortunate because he's been here like all summer. Yeah, it's yeah. Because like, really I met him a few times, but I was busy with other campaigns. Like, you know. Yes. But he didn't get fired? Yeah, not that we know of. What would you kind of consider yourself? Like, where on that spectrum? I'm an anarcho communist. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm as, furthest, I'm as far to the left as you can possibly get, but I'm also very liberal. Like, so, like, there's two, there's two uh, uh, axes. Mm-hmm. One is uh, capitalism versus com- to communism mm-hmm. all the way, and then one is authoritarianism to liber- libertarianism, right. like on the bottom. So if you're in the bottom left-hand corner, you're libertarian, but you're also communist. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of what they call, sometimes they're called libertarian socialists, right. um, and sometimes they're called anarcho-communists, uh, but those two are pretty much interchangeable. Um, and then on the top you have like your your Marxist communists, so, right. so like um, your Stalin's and your you know like they're very authoritarian mm-hmm. communists, right? Um, so there's a there's a, a great spectrum in between on the, uh, of like authoritarian to libertarian, mm-hmm. but also on the left. Right. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes sometimes I get up and I feel pretty pretty authoritarian. Uh, and sometimes I get up and I and I you know I, I feel normal like my libertarian self, uh, but normal you know. One thing I say is if you if you can't handle me at my most communist, you don't you don't deserve me at my most uh, libertarian. <laughs> 
that's uh, that's an interesting. If, if you can't, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you can't uh, handle me at my most communist, then you don't deserve me at my most anarchist. Since the Project Veritas report was released, they stated to close the second video that they had received several anonymous tips from people who know Jarek. One from a campaign staffer who says that Sanders' Iowa State Director Misty Rebic knew of Jarek's radicalism and should have never hired him. And even more disturbing... <clears throat> And even more disturbing is a tip from people who know Jarek personally. They say Jarek is dangerous and becoming more radicalized. They worry that he might try to assassinate the president. Uh, so they're worried he might try and assassinate President Trump. Now I want to say loud and clear that the views of this, in my opinion, straight up crazy idiot, are not the words of Bernie himself. Okay, Bernie didn't hire this person. But Bernie is attracting this person and people like him to his campaign. So he is a supporter of Sanders, and you know, let's be honest, he is employed by the Sanders campaign. And like the video said, or the audio said there, to my knowledge, he has not been fired. Um, you know, following the release of this video. So you know, the question you have to ask yourself is: Is this the kind of person? You know that is supporting a candidate. Do you want that candidate who attracts these kinds of people leading your country? And hopefully the answer is a resounding no. Um, it just, it just shocks me that there is, that, that people are, are thinking about this. But <clears throat> anyways, guys, I appreciate you listening. And this is really, been a great episode for me. I've learned a lot myself, and I hope that you've learned something as well along the way. Hopefully you have a much better understanding of what Bernie and the leftists are proposing for the future of America, and that Sweden and other Scandinavian countries are not successful blueprints for democratic socialism or any kind of socialism in any way. So, like I said many times, they're lying to you. Guys, they're lying. And that shouldn't be a hard thing for you to believe because most politicians have a real hard time telling the truth, especially on the left and in the Democratic Party. So, as always, I appreciate you tuning in and ask that you definitely subscribe to the podcast uh, if you like what I'm doing. Please share it with others and be sure to give it a five-star rating when you do so. If you'd like to get in touch with me or leave comments about the show, I'm on all the major social media platforms. You can email me at commonsensepodcast at fastmail.com, on Facebook at the Common Sense Podcast, Twitter, it's Commsense Podcast, so C-O-M Sense Podcast, Instagram, common.sense.podcast, and then on minds.com, parlor, and gab social, simply search for the Common Sense Podcast. And lastly, as we wrap this up, my friends, please remember that in today's world, there is nothing as uncommon as common sense. Until next time, America.